Welcome to RVR's Life After Camp podcast. Learn about the camp and retreat ministries of RVR at rivervalleyranch.com. Enjoy. Um, last night, this is where we ended. Bit of a downer, um, but it's our reality, and we wanted to come face to face with that, allow ourselves to sit with it, to feel it. Um, so tonight, I am excited to um, finish the story. I said last night, it's not the end of the story, kind of a little uh, to-be-continued cliffhanger last night, um, and we're going to finish it. So all the way back in the beginning, we said God created the world, and he created us um, with it, um, and when we were supposed to have, we did have relationship with him. Everything was perfect. There was no sin. There was no death. There was no disease. There was none of that awful stuff that uh, we can experience here, and even though people chose not this because they thought they could find the answers in themselves, in the very same moment that God is acknowledging and recognizing that the, the door has been busted open and now sin is going to flood the earth um, and corrupt all of mankind. In that same moment, he also puts a plan in place to rescue us um, from that power of that sin and the result, which is death, um, all the way, all the way back in the very beginning. And no matter what happened, I don't know how many of you have like spent much time in the Old Testament? It's like the first big chunk of the Bible. There is some gnarly stuff that goes on in there. <laughs> um, yeah, it's like you, some stuff you probably shouldn't give an entire Bible to a child because they're going to have nightmares or whatever. There's some crazy stuff in there. Um, but no matter what people did, no matter the, the corruption and the sin and the evil and the wickedness that people chose to take part in, God's plan never changed, never wavered. His love for us never changed, never wavered. He was determined. And when God wants to do something, nothing and no one can stop him. So, what was God's plan? First, he sent his son. Paul puts it this way in his letter to the Philippians. Jesus did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. Jesus came to the earth, was born. And I think it's important <laughs> that we understand the, um, the details of all, all the stuff we're going to talk about tonight, right? Jesus could have, um, po you know, possibly God could have made it his plan that he was born into a royal family. So he could rule and reign on earth as, you know, the king of a nation or do whatever, you know. That's not what happened. He was born to a very poor family, he was born into a people, into a nation who were being occupied by a foreign power. They were, his entire race of people were viewed as less than. He was forced to flee his home country um, because there was like a genocide of, of children happening. So his family fled to Egypt for safety. And he grew up his first couple years of his life living in a, in a different country than the one that he was born in. He grew up working hard. He had to, <laughs> to, to survive. He worked with his hands. These things are important because Jesus came to identify with the lowest of us. 
those of us who have experienced the hardest things of life, Jesus came to identify with that. He didn't come with a whole bunch of privilege to kind of walk above the filth and the, and the challenge and the difficulty of earth. He came, and he came right down to the, to the bottom of it, and he experienced how hard and how difficult this life can be. I love this painting by Michelangelo. It's Michelangelo, right? Any arts people in here? Yes, thank you, Astro. Um, it just depicts, again, art, God speaking through art. It just depicts so perfectly God just like longing for us, reaching for us. And look at this guy. He's just like, meh. He can't be bothered to lift his wrist. If he did, they would make contact. He is just so uninterested in the God of the universe. But like, I can identify with that. I knew all about God. I told you guys yesterday, I grew up in the church. I had all the gold stars. I had all of the information, and I was completely unfazed by it. I had no interest in it. And there are, there are friends of mine that grew up in that same environment to this day have no interest in God, right? This is a picture of us. This is God, Jesus, reaching, doing all the work to get to us and oftentimes we can't be bothered to lift a finger. Well, Jesus not only came to earth and, and, and became the, the lowest of low in society, Paul says, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death. Part one of the plan was to come to earth. Part two of the plan was to be obedient to God his entire life. From the moment he was born to the moment he died, he was obedient to God, meaning he never sinned. We looked at that verse last night. All have sinned and fall short of God's standard. Should be like a little asterisk in there, except for Jesus. Why is this important? Because as the son of God and someone who in very nature was God, it is important that he could live decades on this planet, surrounded by the effects of sin, and never once take part in it. It's one thing to say that God is, is stronger than sin, but it's an entirely different thing for Jesus to come and experience suffering, hunger, people being mean to him, and he never once engaged in that sinful activity. He proved that God really is stronger than the power of sin. And not only, again, details are important, not only did he live an entire life sinless, he spent his life proactively overcoming the effects of sin for others. He sought out sick people to heal them. He sought out women and children who in his day and time were regarded as property and said, no, you belong. You are worth love. You are worth being in the room. He included those who were not included. He welcomed those who were not normally welcome. He loved people that nobody else thought deserved love. This is so important, you guys. Jesus, Scripture tells us, 
is, is the physical manifestation of God. You want to know what God is like? Jesus says, you don't have to look past me. I will show you how God feels about you. I will speak his truth. I will love you the way he loves you. And Jesus spent his entire life showing the world how God feels towards them. Step one was to come to earth. Step two of God's rescue plan was to live an entire life, for Jesus to live his entire life proving that God is more powerful than sin. And step three was for him to take our place in death. Paul says, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, yes, even death on a cross. Again, this is important. It's not like Jesus stepped out in front of a bus and was like, well, he died, because that's what happens to people, they die, right? The, the way in which Jesus' life came to an end is really, really important. Jesus came into a, a place and a time in history where the religious elite like ruled the day. And they used their power to oppress other people. And then Jesus shows up. And, and everybody's looking at, we talked about Paul the other night, right? He was this really powerful religious guy. And everyone's looking at these powerful religious people like, oh, if we could just be like them. And then Jesus shows up and is like, those guys are the worst. He calls them sons of hell whose father is the devil. He totally flips the script. He takes power away from the corrupted people who are wielding that power to hurt others because they weren't doing God's work. They weren't speaking for God. They weren't acting for God. And so Jesus showed up to tell everybody and set the record straight. This is not how God feels about you. This is not what God wants from you. And as you can imagine, they did not like that very much. <laughs> when powerful people lose their power, they get unruly. They get testy. They get angry. And so these religious leaders start planning Jesus' demise. They have him arrested. They have him tortured, beaten, and ultimately executed on the cross. He didn't, it's important that we understand, he didn't just die by happenstance. This whole process happened, but... Jesus says of this whole situation, nobody can take my life from me, right? There have, been, there have been good people who are doing great things whose life was taken from them. Dr. King was a good man who was doing a great thing, but he didn't choose to lay his life down. It was taken from him, tragically and unfortunately. But Jesus, that was not his situation. He said, nobody can take my life. He's God incarnate. Nobody can take his life from him. He says, I have the authority to lay it down when I want to and also to take it up again. For this is what my Father has commanded. You guys, this awful, excruciating end of Jesus' life was God's will. 
And it was Jesus' choice to go through with it. Somebody said this to me a couple of years ago, and even though, you know, I've been walking with the Lord for a while now, it was kind of like, oh, right. The night that Jesus was arrested, before he was arrested, he's praying, right? And he says this profound thing that was lost in me for years. He says, if there's any other way, he's talking to God about rescuing humanity from the power of sin and the permanence of death. He says, if there's any other way, let's do that way. It's kind of a, what's that when you ask a question, but you don't want an answer? What's that called? Rhetorical. It was kind of rhetorical because he knew (laughs) there was no other way. But it's important, and I think this was documented for our sakes. He says, but not my will but yours be done. It is, I don't know what this means, that Jesus would have a different will than God. All I know is that when when push came to shove, he said, even the son of God, the perfect sinless son of God said, not my way, your way. Oh my gosh, who are we? Who am I to say, God, why did you do this? God, I don't, I don't want to go there. I don't want to say that. When his own son said, not my will, yours be done. And it was God's will. Because God knew it's what had to happen in order for us to be, to be rescued, to be brought back into right relationship with him. Now, it's really only half of the story to understand what God did. And here's the thing. It doesn't even entirely, like, make sense to me, right? Like, what's the theology behind Jesus as, like, the Son of God, one-third of the Trinity, living a sinless life, and why, why does death, and where does the blood come in? And Like, I don't really even understand how all that works, other than, other than the fact that God says... Yes, <laughs> this, this is good. Like, you can come to me now because of what Jesus has done, right? So that's half of it, understanding how it all happens. But I think the other half, where it goes from here to here and where it really makes the impact is understanding why. Why, when God made everything perfect and we chose the opposite? Why, when for thousands of years, God is like, hey, I'm over here. And people are like, nope, screw you. I'm going to go do my own thing. Why would God want to put his son through all of this? Why would Jesus agree to offer salvation to the very people who were torturing him and executing him. Why? His best friend tells us, a guy named John, you guys probably heard this verse before, so much it's lost its effectiveness. This is the single most important truth that exists. It's held up and supported by a lot of other truths, 
But this is the single most important truth that we need to come to terms with. He did it because he loves us. When Jesus was getting arrested, some of his friends like put up a fight, right? Like a good friend should, right? If your homeboy's like getting taken by the cops for like bogus charges and they're being rough on him, like you, you get involved, right? Jesus was like, stop. This is supposed to happen. If it wasn't, at, at the mere mention, I could have a legion of angels here. Like, I got back up. <laughs> Put your little sword away. It's cute. <laughs> if I wanted this to be over, it'd be over, right? Nobody takes his life from him. He lays it down willingly. What's incredible about that is, in that moment, I don't know how much pain was being inflicted on Jesus, but the truth remained when they were whipping his body. Any moment, he could have said, enough. When they took that crown of thorns and they smashed it into his head, he could have said, enough. When they nailed his hands and his feet, he could have said, enough. He didn't. He remained every single second in that pain. Every second of that suffering was his choice to endure it because he knew there was no other way. And he loved us too much to see us continue to be enslaved to sin, to continue dying, separated from God every second. He was thinking about us, about our freedom, about the love and the joy and the hope and the peace we could experience when it was all said and done. That passage we looked at the other day, we run to Jesus who, for the joy set before him, endured the cross. What was the joy? His relationship with God didn't change. He came from God the Father. He went back to God the Father. What changed? What was the joy on the other side of all that suffering? It was us. You have never experienced unconditional love. So it can be very hard to grasp it. But when I tell you that there is nothing you have done 
Paul was a freaking terrorist, hunting people down and killing them. And God didn't say, too much. I'm not going to save this one. He took that dude, flipped him around, and made him one of the greatest missionaries in church history. There's nothing. The love of God is the most powerful thing in the universe. It brings light where there's darkness. It brings life where there is death. And that's what he wants to give to you. This was not the end. Step four. Step one, he came. Step two, he lived a sinless life. Step three, he died in our place. The death that we should have died. But step four, he even defeated death. Not, not like maybe we would have expected, right? We like that, the imagery of like the knight in shining armor who, you know, and they like save the day and they're handsome and brave and whatever. Jesus passed through it. He went down into the belly of the beast and then came back out and was like, what? And he, he earned this on our behalf. He went through all of that and was like, okay, now follow me. I've cleared the way. <laughs> he blazed the trail for us. Paul finishes this passage by saying, after his death on the cross and his life of sinlessness, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. Jesus died so we no longer have to fear death. I heard somebody say one time that uh, death is almost like a grace of God to Adam and Eve when they sinned. Because they were created, the very first people way back when, they were created to live forever. And then they sinned, and sin came into the world. Imagine if they had to live forever in that sin. Never dying and just experiencing all of the awful things Death almost burns away, removes that sinful, fleshy part of us. And what is left is the soul that God saved to live forever with him. So yes, we, we will die, all of us, someday. It's not that Christians don't die. <laughs> we will. It's that we go on because we're like going in with Jesus. We're not like, hey, here's my card. I belong in this club. We're like, I'm with him. <laughs> Falling really closely behind. We're not getting in on our own. He, he did all the work for us. All we have to say is, I'm with him. And we, we go back to that place where God wanted us all along. Jesus' freedom, freedom from the power of sin, freedom from the permanence of death, and freed to 
relationship with God. 2 Corinthians 3, 16, 17 says, whenever someone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. We talked about this the other night, about how sin blinded us. It blinded us. But when we turn to the Lord, it's taken away. For the Lord is spirit. Where the spirit of the Lord is there is freedom. We don't have to look down the road of, our, of the rest of our lives wondering how we're going to do it on our own. God is longing for each and every one of us to turn to him, to lay down all the stuff that we're trying to fill up on, to make ourselves okay, that's really just enslaving us to it, to turn to him. Remember what he said, give me your burdens and I'll give you rest. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for who you are. God, none of us would be able to endure the amount of disrespect and the amount of willing disobedience, rebellion. God, none of that made you change your mind. None of that made you change your plan. So we thank you for, for just being who you are and for giving us the opportunity to have a relationship with you. Guys, one thing to have the information, it's, it's an entirely different thing to um, experience this truth. So Lord, um, I pray that you would do that for us. God, you would help us to um, experience your loving presence, to be affected um, in, our, in our soul, in our heart, by who you are and by what you've done for us. I pray these things in your name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Life After Camp episode. Discover all of the year-round adventures at RVR and find out how you can support our ministry at rivervalleyranch.com. Thanks.